We are in Luke chapter 5 this morning. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 5. If you think about some of the most dangerous jobs in the world, like being a firefighter, running into a burning building, what motivates that person to do that? It can't just be the salary. There is much more to staying in a job like that, right? What about maybe being a teacher? We have several um, teachers with us here this morning, or previous teachers, retired teachers. You guys know, right? It's the most underappreciated, underpaid, overworked job in almost any country that you go to. And they say being a teacher is a calling. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I know they meant it lightheartedly, and certainly teachers deserve more appreciation. And like I said, our teachers are meeting this afternoon, the Sunday school teachers. I appreciate you guys very much as your pastor. Know that. Fishing is another occupation, or rather being a sailor. One wonders, there must be a deeper motivation. <laughs> Months away from your family, enduring deadly seas, living in confined spaces, I have an extended family member, right? Um, she's a doctor on a very small island, a civilian doctor um, on an island controlled by the Royal Navy. It's not even a blip on the map. You, you look a map and they won't show it, okay? You have to zoom into Google Earth several times before you can even see it. It's tiny. There's about a thousand people on the island altogether in naval outposts in the middle of the Atlantic or something. Um, and she's the only doctor on this island. <clears throat> and she was telling me a story about uh, how a cargo ship um, had um, come to the island. They radioed the island. They said, there's an emergency on the ship. Do you have a doctor stationed on the island? And they said, yes. The ship was too big to be docked at the island, so they drove her out to sea in uh, a, a motor rubber duck um, to treat this emergency case. The ship didn't have the facilities or the manpower or the equipment to treat this injury, and she had to do emergency surgery on the ship. They had to sterilize the space and she had to perform emergency surgery on this man. <clears throat> Imagine that. But let's consider then the idea of being called to something. To be called to something is to be, in our context, is to be divinely commissioned to a responsibility. So I'm not talking about our careers, but I'm rather talking about us as believers being called to follow Christ. 
considering the hardships ahead, considering what we are asked to do when we take up that mantle, there must be some more motivation than simply, I don't know what you think. <laughs> So it's not any easier for me. I'm, I'm a full-time pastor. I'm called to gospel ministry, and not all of us are, but all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel, to serve and to share the good news, to be followers of Christ. So in chapter 5 of Luke, Jesus, we read, we're going to read, Jesus calls some of his first disciples. And Luke gives a detailed account of this day and the characteristics that they demonstrate in order to follow Jesus, in order to say yes. Take certain disciplines to run a race or to climb a mountain. And there are certain tenets that we must cultivate if we are to answer the call. Let's read chapter 5, verse 1 to 11 together, and then pray and jump right into it. <clears throat> it says, As the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats beside the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to thrust it out a little from the land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was tearing. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And when they had come and filled both boats so that they began to sink, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish, which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, for now... On, you will catch men. So then they had brought their boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. Lord, I pray that we may be edified by this word and this message today. Amen. Okay. So we see an encounter where walking through Luke story by story. 
And Jesus calls the first disciples. Um, before we go further, I'd like to get our ducks in a row, so to speak. I want everyone to be on the same page and not to go home perhaps confused about the order of events. If you read the other Gospels, uh, John or Matthew, Mark, and you read this account, or you read the account of where Peter calls his disciples, you might notice some, not discrepancies, but uh, for the sake of thoroughness, for the sake of clarity, I want to clear some of that up, okay? So there's um, th four things we can understand going into the story. Firstly, this is not the first time Peter, it says here Simon, he was later renamed Peter, this is not the first time he meets Jesus. In 1 John, actually, we see the, the encounter where they first meet Jesus. You can read it for yourself from verse 35. But in verse 41, he said, Andrew, Simon's brother, Peter's brother, he said he found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Then he brought him to Jesus. And when he saw him, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's the account in 1 John. It goes on to say, so secondly, that they didn't immediately follow Jesus after meeting him. It doesn't say that they followed uh, Jesus in, first John, uh, in John 1. It says that they met him. And they spent some time with him, but then he went his way. Thirdly, Luke orders events logically, not always necessarily chronologically. <clears throat> In the previous chapter, we read Jesus casting out demons and um, healing Peter's mother-in-law. In Mark... He puts those events after this event. Mark orders the events chronologically. Luke orders events logically. <clears throat> Why do I say this? Let's consider what we've done so far. Chapter 1, introducing the Messiah um, for, for telling his birth. Chapter 2, um, the coming of the Messiah, the the, the laying of the way with uh, John the Baptist. Um, we read about his baptism and then his temptation. We read about his authority that was given by God the Father uh, in, in chapter 4. And so now, logically, we read about those who start following him. So keep that in mind. And lastly, the account in Luke is the same account in Mark and Matthew. It just gives more detail. In Mark, for example, it says that um, they were in their boat mending nets when he passed by. And here it says they were outside of their boat washing their nets. Well, they could have done both. It says here in Luke that he spent lots of time teaching and he spent a almost a whole day there by the shore with them. So they could have mended their nets and washed their nets and, and done all of those things. They're not contradictory. 
So we're reading the detailed account here. <clears throat> For some, we would look at this passage and say it's an allegory of, of, um, of evangelism, um, how Jesus made them fishers of men and, and the big catch can somehow uh, represent our evangelistic efforts. It's not untrue, but no, I don't think that's what this passage is. The point of this passage is to emphasize their calling. So there are three interactions, ultimately, that we hone in on. Uh, with Peter that form the tenets of answering this call. Obedience, humility, and willingness. So we read <clears throat> that Jesus tells him after he has taught to cast his net back into the sea, to go out once more and to try again. And Peter, almost as if humoring Jesus, uh, says, okay, if you say so, I will do it. But he does sound very skeptical, doesn't he? He says, we've been out there all night and we caught nothing. It's not going to be any different, but all right, Lord, because you said so, I will do it. The willingness is not there yet. But he simply did it, not understanding the reason or anticipating the result. Jesus isn't next to us right now, telling us where to go, or what to do. But in our ongoing obedience to Scripture and through the prompting of the Spirit, we find ourselves in front of obstacles. We find ourselves in situations we did not expect to find ourselves. Lord, you ask yourself, I cannot go down that road. It's a dead end. I've been down it before. Lord, I've tried to overcome this challenge. I can't do it. Lord, I've tried to be a testimony to this people and to this person. They won't listen. If you heard the Spirit prompting, humor me. Hmm? When we answer the call, it would take us to places and situations that don't make sense to our human understanding. We are required to trust and obey, not necessarily always understand. Obedience. Secondly, humility. When he put the net down, immediately it was filled with a catch, so much so that the net that they put down started to tear, and they called in their partner shouting, hey, come over. They were getting there as quickly as they can, and they loaded up all the fish onto both boats, and as they were making their way back, it was like, it was sinking. Guys, we need to get this catch back as quickly as possible. And the 
and a miracle happened. <clears throat> says when Peter saw this, his first reaction was, he fell down and he said, Lord, I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy of this blessing. That was his first reaction. And you know what? That's good. That's a good reaction to have. Pride is the source of so much suffering and sin. Imagine if Peter had felt, oh, well, Jesus used my boat earlier. I only deserve some sort of payment. Or, um, well, he told me to go in and catch the fish. I must be special or, or different for some reason that he, he bestowed this blessing on me. I must be, you know, doing something right. God is happy with me. <clears throat> That's not the case. Says his first reaction was humility, repentance, realizing that he was sinful. In fact, it's so stark that perhaps there was something in his life that was burdening his heart, that was uh, convicting his spirit, some thing that he was living wrong. It's very possible. And when confronted with God and this blessing, his immediate reaction was, Lord, I am not worthy of this gift. That's good. We are not worthy, that's why it's called grace. So the second thing that we understand in ourselves on a daily basis when we are to answer this call is to remain humble, to recognize that we will never reach a point in our sanctification where we are so Christ-like that today I am suddenly free of any and all sin and for the rest of my life I am now holy <laughs> that's that's not what we read glorification one day in heaven yes but we always have reason to humble ourselves before the Lord never think that we are worthy of his grace that's why it is grace it's from him it's not because of anything that we have done. Pride can smother the voice uh, or our hearing. We cannot hear the Lord's call. It can blind our eyes so we cannot stay focused on him. <clears throat> the third thing is willingness. He demonstrates it here to go in our case to go to serve to speak Peter and the people around him they were so astonished by this Jesus said do not fear I will make you fishers of men I will teach you to catch men 
And it said, once they had brought their boats in, Simon and his two partners, James and, and John, and I'm sure his brother, they left what they were doing and it said they followed him. <clears throat> there was a willingness, there was a change of value, there was a, there was a change of perspective that is required to answer this call. Now, I don't think that they, did they leave the fish there to get stolen or rot in the sun? No, I don't think that's what happened. It says um, in the other accounts that uh, Zebedee, their father was there. It says they had um, other people with them, uh, helpers that were on the boats with them. So I'm sure that they went and sold those fish and made use of that fish. But what it means when it said they left it and followed him is that they, they were not part of the celebration that I'm sure happened that night. They were not uh, waiting there to get their portion of the catch. They were not going into town telling uh, stories of how Jesus used their boat for the miracle. They, what was important to them, their motivation shifted. And they, they followed him. Where you go and what you say is now the most important thing in my life. We need that mental shift, that shift away from selfish desires, from what can I get out of it? How can um, I be more fulfilled? Because when we turn our attention to Christ, when we uh, let him lead, in fact, we are more fulfilled than we can ever be out of our own following our own desires. We can be happier because we find our strength and joy in Christ. <laughs> Jesus issued this challenge to other people in the gospel, in, in the books. Um, as we read, there was another occasion where he was about to depart on a boat and people asked, Lord, can I come with you? And he, he said to the man, <clears throat> they said, um, I need to go do this thing first. I need to go claim my father's inheritance first. So I'm just going to go do this thing and then I'll follow you. <clears throat> and Jesus said, no. He <laughs> says, let the dead bury the dead. And I know that sounds harsh, but the man, from the context, he only wanted his father's inheritance. That's why he needed, he was obligated to bury him. He said, if you want to follow me, put those things aside and follow me. He says, foxes have their holes, 
Birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He, he was indicating that following me isn't about what you can get. I'm going to be homeless for most of this journey. Are you willing to lay aside the motivations of this world and follow me and let me be your motivation? So they did. You know, it says, do not fear, from now on you will catch men, you will be fishers of men. I'm sure Peter was sitting there wondering what this entails, not knowing from a bar of soap what's going to happen next, never having, feeling completely inexperienced and unqualified. <laughs> Jesus simply related the work of the ministry to what Peter already knows, fishing. And perhaps some lines were drawn or some light bulbs went off. And Peter realized, oh, this is going to be hard work. Fishing was never easy. <laughs> Fishing, they had cuts and bruises and calluses on their hands. They worked hard. They lifted heavy. It was hard work. Maybe he realizes, well, okay, if this is like fishing, it's going to require some patience. It says that they were out there the entire night without catching a single thing. And if you've ever been fishing, you know it requires more than five minutes of concentration. It's going to require some patience. It's not going to happen overnight. The other thing, <clears throat> fish struggle. We're going to encounter some conflict. It's not going to be easy. Fish, you're not going to um, just dangle a hook and fish line up to bite. It's going to be some conflict and struggle in this job. I can relate to that if this is like fishing. There's going to be things out of our control. If this is like fishing, every time we get onto that boat and sail out um, to sea, by the way, lake, um, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's just a more old name for the Sea of Galilee. Okay, just a side note. Um, we, we leave ourselves bare to the, the elements. A storm can hit whenever the ship can hit a rock and we can sink. Many things can go wrong on a boat. We need to be prepared for things out of our control, for the unknown. And Peter realized, I can see how this job is like fishing. It's not just casting the net of the gospel and, and um, 
metaphorically catching men. There's a lot more to the job. But what motivates us? It's a daily call. It's a daily call. When we wake up in the morning, we reaffirm to ourselves and to God, I'm following you. I am a disciple. That's what it, the word disciple means, follower. I will be obedient to what you command in the word, to the prompting of the spirit. I will be humble in all things, knowing that just as I was a sinner, that I'm saved from my sin. To look out onto the unbelieving world and have pity and have sorrow, not righteous um, uh, self-righteousness, to be humble in the face of all things, and to be willing, to be willing to serve, to be willing to give, to be willing to put yourselves in uncomfortable situations, to be willing to face fears for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what we are called to do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this story. We are humbled by it to know that there is so much <clears throat> more to just simply sitting back and getting a free ticket into heaven. We know that salvation is a gift that you give freely to those who repent and believe. But we also know that we are called to something much greater than ourselves. I pray that we may be motivated to answer. Help us, Lord, as we pick up this mantle on a daily basis. Keep us. And Lord, remind us that we do all for the glory of your holy name. Amen.